Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Episode 231 of the Steelers Outpost Podcast, a proud member of Sports Drink Network. You join me, Nick, from the Houston mobile office, or studio, if you will. As you guys know, any uh, longtime listeners of the show, it's all pirate radio this year. We're doing that just for a purely artistic experiment, and in no way is it due to the fact that our schedules are insanity this year. That being said, I really wanted to get my thoughts out on one of the more interesting Steelers games of the year, uh, which was unfortunately a 41-37 loss to the not-San Diego Chargers. They lost to the not-San Diego Chargers, some team from L.A., I guess, right? This year, Thanksgiving at MyBookie gives you plenty of reasons to be thankful, starting with a $250 risk-free bet on Thursday afternoon when the sputtering Dallas Cowboys host the fading Las Vegas Raiders. Bet the spread between the Raiders and Cowboys at MyBookie. When you win, you win. And if you don't, my bookie will refund you up to $250. Simply put, you can't lose this bet. And that's what I call a no-risk, all-gravy bet. Before you get your wager in, set yourself up for success by doubling your first deposit when using promo code SPORTSDRINK at my bookie. That's promo code SPORTSDRINK to double your initial deposit all the way up to $1,000. So you won't need to break the wishbone to be the one to come out ahead. Feast risk-free on Thanksgiving with my bookie, and make sure to stick around for seconds as they gear up for what should be a fun Black Friday, with tons of odds boosts that will have your belly and your pockets full. Bet anything, bet anywhere, bet anytime with my bookie. Okay, there is so much to think about. Sucks that it ended in a loss. Sucks that it ended in a loss when the Steelers could have pretty much kept pace with the Baltimore Ravens for first place in the AFC North, or stay at least within shouting distance of them, throwing distance. They're still within shouting distance, shockingly. That being said, we saw some of the most encouraging things we've seen in maybe two years on the offensive side of the ball, or maybe at least since that furious comeback against the Colts in the end of last season where the offense erupted, uh, only not to be seen again until the second half of the debacle in Cleveland in the playoff game. So we saw great offense. We saw absolutely horrific defense. There's a few main points that I want to cover when it comes to this game. The first point being a point that people may not love to hear me make. It may sound like we're making excuses, but I'll explain later why it's not an excuse. It's just a cold, hard reality. And the first thing is, look, the Steelers had nobody on defense. It's six injured starters. Five of those guys are pro bowl or all pro level guys. 
You're not going to play against a quarterback as talented as Justin Herbert, as many Steelers fans probably saw last night for the first time. You see what this guy's all about. He's like a young, modern Ben Roethlisberger in a lot of ways. Gigantic. Man can throw the football through a bank safe without opening the door. Just through through the middle. You know, that stuff's thick. It doesn't matter. He's got a rocket arm. He's got a hose. Piss missiles all over the field. He can run, unfortunately, as we found out as well. He's got two killer receivers in Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. Mike Williams, Williams is especially good when you don't cover him. And then Austin Eckler coming out of the backfield. We know the skill position players for the Chargers, but we'll talk about that uh, being the first point of emphasis. The fact that the Steelers were incredibly undermanned on defense. Uh, secondary point within that first theme is that despite being undermanned, they were outcoached. And there were some major blunders on defense that shouldn't be occurring with starters or backups, as evidenced by the uncovered 53-yard game winner to Mike Williams. Now, the second headline that I want to put up is never let Ben practice again because every time he doesn't practice, so the close call scare, I guess, last year with the, with the Bengals game, he didn't practice a couple years ago against the Browns when – the Steelers started Landry Jones and then like a quarter into the game said, my God, I can't see any more of this. Get this guy out of here. Just put Ben in there on one foot. And he goes in there and throws 303 tutties. Yeah, don't let Ben practice because the second headline is the offense actually showed some legitimate life despite completely and utterly disappointing us with the worst attempt at a game-winning drive I have ever seen in my life. Losing 22 yards in three plays on the last drive of the game. Pretty much thanks directly to Joe Haig. But those are, the, those are the big themes for me. Okay, so before we get into headline number one about the defense being undermanned and outcoached, just another general thought or two on the game. This was one of the wackiest, most fun Steeler games to watch in the past few years. And I hope that doesn't sound like I'm rubbing it into anybody who's, who's really hurting after the loss. But as I've said on the podcast this year, I really am judging this year in, in a different fashion. And I'm not, um, I don't view the Steelers as a Super Bowl team this year. Although, hey, it's not absolute insanity with how close the AFC has been up to this point. And if the Steelers could summon the offensive performance that they showed last night against the Chargers, and you can get some of these all pros on defense back, then hey, maybe it's not that insane. But to me, you know, it does sort of look like what is this Steelers team going to do through transition after Ben? And that's kind of how I'm looking at the game. And honestly, it's just been a boring team to watch the past two years. We watch it anyways, and we have fun watching it. But three years, not two years. But last night had some real excitement. The Steelers scored 27 freaking points in the fourth quarter alone. They, uh, I think that's the third time they've done that in history. Me and Papa Tom were talking earlier. He looked it up. He can throw the stats in somewhere. I think it was like... 1952 and then 1986 against the Jets or something like that. But 27 points in the fourth quarter. You saw what could be considered as a breakout game for Deontay, although he's had Deontay Johnson, although he's had a number of breakout games. This was just a particularly beautiful one with um, uh, especially that one drive where he had the unbelievable, unbelievably smooth catch on the bullet from Ben up the sidelines, which really got the drive going and then had one of the nicest touchdowns we have seen since uh, he who shall not be named playing wide receiver on this crazy uh, like jerk 
corner fade route that he ran, like the fake into the inside. Ben throws one of his best balls of the year, probably his best ball of the year. And Deontay tracks it over his head, over his shoulder, makes the catch with the guy who has his arm in between. I think it was Samuel, who's a monster, Asante Samuel's son. His arm is in between Deontay's arms and the ball, and he's draped all over his back, and somehow Deontay drags the foot and touches the knee down. It was unbelievable. So you saw a huge performance from him. Obviously, a vintage clock-turning performance from Ben, throwing the ball downfield, looking at his spray chart, and realizing that, uh, as Nick Farbaugh brought up on Twitter, or Farbaugh, sorry, dude, uh, I'm a moron when it comes to pronouncing uh, the English language and names. But you guys know what I'm talking about. Nick posted this thing, uh, the spray chart, to Twitter, and it shows that Ben actually targeted the middle of the field quite a bit in this game, which if anybody listens to this podcast before, uh, you know that is out of the ordinary for the past few years. Cam Hayward is another massive bright spot. At this point, he's going to run away with the Steelers' MVP just because TJ's missed a couple games here, you know, hopefully – TJ will come back and resume uh, Cam and TJ's head-to-head battle to get that MVP award. But uh, Cam Hayward is single-handedly keeping the Steelers' defense in games at times. And then Cam Sutton, the other Cam, he was a little bit up and down, but his his tenacity, his verve, his gusto was visible on the field. He made some really big plays, and then obviously uh, blunder with that offside zone on the um on the field goal, but hey, he made up for it with an inter- interception later off that dime from Cam Hayward on the batted pass. So we saw a lot of really encouraging things. I mean, J- Chase Claypool had a nice game. Uh, Fryermuth overcame an early drop to, uh, you know, perform well. I guess when this game started, I was thinking one thing, and I believe I tweeted this, and Dad and I were talking about it extensively, is look, point number one. Here we are. Headline number one. Headline number one. The Steelers were abnormally undermanned on defense. They had six people missing. Like I said, five of them at least are all-stars. So, Minka Fitzpatrick, of course, we realize covers up for a bunch in the back end. TJ Watt, who also covers up for a lot in the back end in terms of putting pressure on the quarterbacks. Joe Hayden. Tyson Aluoglu and Stefan Tuitt, yes, I know they've been out the whole year, but the point is you only have so much money to spend on a football team every year. When you dedicate a bunch of that money to two stars on the defensive line, you can't just go out and replace that in the middle of the season. They didn't expect those guys to be out there out, so that does count as being undermanned. That's how you built your team. In addition, there's a few uh, backup defensive linemen who are out as well. That being said, when the game started, you realize one thing. When you're down that many people – That's how seasons get ruined. The only way to defeat the team is to have a massive offensive showing. And we said at the beginning of the game, that's probably not going to happen because it hasn't happened in quite some time in Pittsburgh. And guess what? It did happen. They were able to turn it around, but partially thanks to Cam Hayward's huge play. I think he leads the NFL or is tied for the lead or second with uh, six batted passes. A couple of those things have popped up 20 feet in the air, and they just landed in a perfect area far away enough from any Steelers defenders so that they were unable to take advantage of the opportunity to make an interception. But this one, I think it went 80 feet up in the air. This thing was launched out of a T-shirt gun, T-shirt launcher, and Cam Sutton tracked the living hell out of the ball. 
and then made a nice interception. They capitalized off it. Killebrew bursting through the middle uh, against this poor um, up back for the Chargers who had to try and block three people. He just got ragdolled around. Killebrew makes the punt block. Unfortunately, was not able to house it, but you know that's another big play that occurred in the game. There were a couple big, uh, uh, you know, momentum shifting plays that occurred to get the Steelers in position. But at the end of the day, the only way to win a game where you have so much of the money out on your team, I mean, what's that like a hundred million dollars between all those guys who are out? The only way is to make up with it uh, with incredible offense, and that's just is what it is. The next man up thing is a necessary mentality because. In football, you will lose people, and people will need to step up to fill their role. There's only so many losses you can withstand. Look at the difference between a starting NFL player and a rotational backup guy. I mean, you've seen it with Arthur Mollette. You've seen it with a third-round pick. And by the way, uh, I was going to say a third-round pick and Justin Lane, but Arthur Mollette, after getting toasted in coverage the past few weeks, did show why he's still on the team with a couple extremely nice silver bullet-esque run stops in the game. But you see, like, he's, he's an incredibly limited player. When he tried to cover Allen Robinson, obviously Allen Robinson's a fantastic receiver, but he's not a burner. And he burned Mollet. I mean, just the talent gap is too high. James Washington, I know he's an absolute fan favorite, and I love him as well. But the difference between Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, and Juju and, and, and Washington is stark. I mean, it's such a big deal. And Washington's still a good player. So think about taking out guys who are not only starters like Deontay and, and Claypool, but consistent superstars like Minka and TJ Watt and it. I mean, it's just too much to overcome. That being said, it's pretty inexcusable that the Steelers' defense played so vanilla the entire game that Justin Herbert, a very young quarterback, was able to pick apart at the same parts of the zone all game long and then secondarily, that he ran for about 100 yards. And there were nice runs. It shows you why Justin Herbert is an MVP-type quarterback. But a lot of the runs he squirted out, and there was nobody within 100 miles of him. How you don't put a spy on him? That's basically the Twitter battle cry last night, was how you're not spying this guy. And sometimes it's so simple, you don't need to overthink it. It is true. This isn't just Twitter coaching. How did you not find a way to spy on this man when he keeps running for 30-yard gains where there's nobody even in frame and he just coasts out of bounds? I mean, this is different than if somebody was just unable to keep up with him, but it's not Lamar Jackson we're talking about here. He's a, he's a good runner, but there's no excuse for that. So to not be able to adjust to that is, is gross and disgusting. And secondarily, I mean, to give up the game on a 53-yard pass that's uncovered Alex Kazora put up a tweet today saying that he's 99% sure that Trey Norwood's responsibility was to uh, take that deep half of the field and he didn't get to his mark on time. I haven't been able to rewatch the game uh, or from that all 22 angle, but rest assured if Alex Kazora says it's 99% that it was on Trey Norwood, it was on Trey Norwood. Listen, players are players. They have to perform on the field, but, I mean, man, there's got to be a way to, to fix some of that from a coaching standpoint. They played way too vanilla. Listen, any any other show, any other, you know, Orlovsky, Sims, everybody's saying the same thing today. And you could easily see it. 
when they were playing yesterday. And I understand that you have to play vanilla when you're down so many guys because if you get too fancy, you might have blown coverages. Well, guess what? They're vanilla and they blew coverages anyway. So I can't excuse the Steelers coaching staff for blowing a, a crazy opportunity. Because like I said, the only way you win these games is if you have a crazy performance from your offense. That was highly unlikely going into this week. Somehow they came out with one and then they blew it. And I do just want to talk really quick about Justin Herbert because we need to be looking at quarterbacks. And I'm excited for Steelers fans to get a look at the various types of quarterbacks who are out there. And Justin Herbert, obviously, that's a dream. I mean, you're talking about a guy who should have been the number one overall pick. He suffered from a similar fate uh, that Aaron Rodgers suffered from. It was more like a personality thing, the reason why he slid. I mean, the, like, you know, Aaron Rodgers has said he's arrogant, whatever. I mean, yeah, I guess I guess he is arrogant enough to be the best quarterback ever. But um, they said that Justin Herbert, oh, he's too, he's too shy. He's too shy. He's seven feet tall. He has an absolute rocket launcher for an arm, and he probably runs a 4-6. He's, he's Big Ben mixed with Andrew Luck, but he's a little shy. Can't take this guy. Let's take Tua because his team won 400 games with a first-round pick at every position on the offense and with a quarterback who's no not an elite runner, not an elite thrower, doesn't have an elite arm, is very short, is small, is very likable, is very cool, Tua is a cool guy, but... I'm just trying to give you the example of like how these narratives get so out of control. How, how Justin Herbert was overlooked is pretty hilarious in retrospect. And there were a lot of people in the draft community who agreed with that. Like, how, how is this guy not the slam dunk number one overall pick? It's crazy. That being said, or, you know, after, after Burrow, of course, had, had an unbelievable year that year. So, I mean, how was he not the number two at least? But when you look at Herbert, it reminded me a little bit of Justin Fields' performance uh, the other week, just at a higher level. And granted, he has a better supporting cast, but, you know, it, it's kind of hard to admit. I mean, Justin Herbert's a more polished player than, than Justin Fields at this point. But they attack downfield. I love the way they attack downfield. They throw so many laser beams across the middle of the field at 30 and 40 yards. It's amazing. It's not just about launching a go ball, you know, 40 feet into the air, you know, doing the Russ or the Ben or the Aaron Rodgers, you know, the great deep ball throwers of the generation – of course, that's part of it, but it's also part of what Russ, Aaron, and Ben have done over their careers is launch balls on the 20-yard routes, and Herbert was so aggressive with those, and the only way you can make those throws is with arm talent, and, and you need to, people need to stop overreacting to the Drew Brees, being, I mean, Drew Brees is the exception of the rule, but when Drew Brees was you know, dominating the NFL and Tom Brady was dominating while they were running the short passing game, and even Peyton Manning maybe was getting to the end of his career, you're sort of thinking, oh, accuracy is the most important thing. Arm strength is overrated. It's not overrated. Mason Rudolph cannot even decide to make those 30-yard crosser throws or those 30-yard skinny posts that Justin Herbert was making because he won't be able to get the ball there in time. It'll get picked off or it'll get knocked down. Of course, the mobility of Justin Herbert is massive too. We know the Steelers are obsessed with it. Mike Tomlin's mentioned it. I think in every press conference – after uh, the games this year. So the mobility and the size, I mean, the size is a skill as well. You're able to survey the field easier. You're able to be more comfortable in the pocket. We've seen all of these things to be true with Ben, including the mobility, you know, in his earlier career. Well, really the whole first half of his career, if not more. 
He's not going to run for as many 30 yarders as Herbert does, but he's got this functional athleticism. I think I heard someone say that uh, before. Maybe it was PFT um, on, on part of my take, but he, he's always had an athletic ability to get out of sacks, obviously. So when, when I'm looking at these quarterbacks in the draft, which I haven't looked at really much yet, obviously Kenny Pickett, that's so cool. He's, that's a pit guy. It's so much fun to see a Pittsburgh quarterback dominating like that. You're talking about him, Matt Corral, all the guys who are up for the draft this year, nobody seems to have that sort of rocket launcher. And I think that it is very difficult to succeed in the NFL on a consistent basis without a great arm. Drew Brees is the exception to the rule because he's the most accurate pass. He's just one of the most accurate passers ever. And his processing is crazy. And he does have great fun- functional athleticism in the pocket, or he did, of course, when he played. He's the exception. Otherwise, you look at everybody else, you have to have the arm power because it scares the defense. It makes them play different. It opens up the playbook for your offensive coordinator. It lets them attack different areas of the field. And it just does so much for you. So uh, Justin Herbert, I thought, even though nobody was being covered, I thought that he was incredibly impressive. And that's just something for Steelers fans to keep an eye on when we're looking at these young quarterbacks. Now time for the second big headline which is the offense and the encouraging signs of life that it showed. Look, I know that it's not going to be flawless. It never is. And a lot of people might be saying, how encouraging was it that the Steelers were unable to run whatsoever against the worst run defense in the league? And today, I'll, to that, I'll say, hey, beggars can't be choosers. I mean, you, you can't expect the Steelers' offense to just turn awesome. And just to, if, you, if they were able to run – that's like, wait, hold on. So Ben's throwing all over this defense and we're running. So the Steelers offense is just awesome now. It's not going to work like that, especially when you're down two guards. I mean, you, I know that that's only one position on the offensive line. And traditionally, you could be able to overcome that. But we know the Steelers can't overcome that right now. Uh, that's ridiculous. So, yes, there were issues there, but there's going to be issues everywhere. What I was excited about was Ben Roethlisberger looking comfortable the, the uh, most of the night, the offensive line giving him enough time to pass and then him deciding to hit these passes downfield and mostly being pretty damn accurate with the ball with the exception of one throw, which I'll talk about. But it was really aided in, in part by the fact that Deontay Johnson was just murking people out there. He was making Ben Roethlisberger receiver type catches. Ben will give you absolute dimes into difficult positions. It's one thing that people failed to talk about when he who shall not be named left the Steelers is that, yes, of course he made Ben better, but the the accuracy that Ben would make some of these crazy throws to AB with, it was, oh, damn it, I said it. it, it it's uncanny. And he likes finding his guy who can go one-on-one. And somehow Ben, we've talked about it, he's, he's like a, he's a very feel-based player. If he's throwing a one-on-one route and he's just concentrating on that, he has the ability to put it into the most insane locations possible. And Deontay was making a lot of those catches. That was cool. It's cool to see Ebron score. It was cool to see Fryermuth score on a, on a pretty nice little play design there with the uh, basically split him out wide. And you're taking advantage of the fact that he scored a fade touchdown in each of the past few weeks or two of the past three weeks. And instead of running that fade, you have him run a tunnel screen, and he comes back to the ball, and the offensive lineman pull all the way out to the side there and, and did a good job 
making blocks on guys and just completely clearing the way, and he was able to walk in. But I do want to point this out. When you look at the replay, the finesse in which Fryermuth faked his first step forward and then popped back behind the line of scrimmage for the screen pass was so impressive. It was so under control. I know it's a little thing, but it just shows you the guy's versatility is pretty crazy. And he's not a burner in the open field in terms of long speed, but he does have quicks. And what he has more than anything else is smoothness. He is butter on the field. Oh, God. Wait, that's, that's not a bad name. Margarine Fryermuth. Can't believe it's not butter. I think butter might be better. Well, more on that later. Nobody call him cottage cheese. The man's butter. I'm trying to tell you that he moves well for a man of his size. And that's a big advantage for the Steelers. So uh, I know people probably also want to talk about some of the high hits and the hit to the head for, for Najee and the hit to the head on Cam Sutton when he had the interception. I, I do not think those were on purpose. I mean, those guys were just diving at Najee Harris and Cam and the, the arm was outstretched there. I don't think the guy Superman elbow punched him in the face that way. I'd actually be impressed if he were able to aim for his face that way. It's annoying that they didn't get the call, but once again, I think the Steelers are still paying karma for those horrible uh, calls that they benefited from against the Bears. But that being said, they should be even now because there was a crap roughing the passer call against the, the Lions last week as well. So back to just general offense. Obviously, it just stems from Ben uh, being really good that way. If you look at that, okay, so there was an early throw in the game. The bomb to Claypool, but probably like a 30-yard pass or something like that, just ran a go route down the seam. And Ben did underthrow him by about four or five yards. Chase Claypool did have five full yards on his man, and that should be a walk-in touchdown. And there's some buddies of mine on Twitter. You know, there's some people who are railing Ben Frick. I understand that. There are some who are also perhaps over-defending him, in my opinion, uh, saying that, like, hey, you know, Chase, uh, he shouldn't have fallen down, which I completely agree with <laughs> Go watch it. You'll see. It's it's his specialty. He just he's addicted to falling down. It reminds me of whenever you're playing catch with little kids, or maybe when you were a little kid, uh, and you're playing catch with your dad, or your buddies in the backyard, and you jump for every pass, even when it's right to your chest. So somehow you've made it a more difficult catch than if you had just stayed on the ground. That is Chase Claypool's special jumping when he doesn't have to. You would like to see Chase just catch that in his chest and break the tackle and score. You see Juju Smith Schuster do stuff like that all the time. I'm telling you, that's not a big ask. I know it sounds crazy, some of the stuff I ask of, I, I, that I hope Chase Claypool does on a week-to-week basis, but it's because we not only have we had multiple receivers in Pittsburgh over the last few years who have been able to make plays like that, we, there's multiple receivers all over the league who can do that. The, the defense back is desperate. He is running for his life. He knows that he's about to give up a touchdown. He's just going to dive at you. There's a good chance that you can catch that and just slide, let the guy slide off of you, especially when – you're a six foot nine Adonis like Chase Claypool. So he had a great game, but obviously we're always looking for him to turn to Julio Jones. And, and that might not be his fate, but damn, he is such a good player. And he had a great game last night. And Ben underthrew him on that ball. So I don't think that it's in any way outlandish to say we've seen Ben play for almost 20 years. That's a walk in touchdown. And I'm not even comparing him to Ben from five years ago because that would be totally unfair. Like, look, he's 39 or whatever. <laughs> Now, he's not going to make all the same plays. But I'm going to make that throw 20 times out of 20 times. It's a streak with nobody on him. You have to be able to put the ball up in front of him. And by the way, it's not the first time that he's underthrown balls like that. 
I think he might have gotten scared with that really unfortunate overthrow to Juju on a seam route against the Packers. He had a couple big overthrows in that game, and now he's just like, I just want to complete the thing. He had a completion like this, uh, I don't know if it was last week or a couple weeks ago, to James Washington as well, where the ball was incredibly short. So we know Ben, once again, very field player, can get a little bit in his head for better or for worse at times. And it just seems like on some of those plays where the guy is so damn wide open, he's just more concerned about completing the pass than getting the touchdown. And in certain ways, when I'm saying that out loud, you, you almost can't blame him, you know. Uh, There's a stat today that said, Ben has gone five straight games without an interception. It was actually kind of shocking to me when I heard it. I, I, I assume that dates back to, you know, before the, the Lions game that he missed. But either way, even if it's just four, that's incredible. Ben is really playing ball control offense. He truly has emerged now that we're at the halfway point of the season. He really has emerged into the old man quarterbacking style that we were looking for from him. Like, look, we just need to make you to make some of these big plays when you can. When it comes to like, hey, if you have time, we know you still throw the ball very sexily. I mean, it's a sexy throw. Make those throws. You can. We see you do it. And then just don't turn the ball over. And he's doing an incredible job of that. So I just thought that there were so many encouraging things on offense. And I don't know if the Steelers will be able to capitalize on them, honestly. But I think they will be able to because, like we said, they have shown gradual improvement after the first four games in weeks you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine, obviously excluding the Lions game where Mason was playing quarterback. They have shown improvements. And, and a game like that goes a long way for Deontay Johnson when you have a real superstar game and you're really starting to put together a nice season. That goes a long way for your confidence and for Ben as well. Hopefully hitting the middle of the field you know, I know that hopefully that that gives them a lot of confidence to make more throws like that. Obviously, the Chargers play almost exclusively two high safeties, so the middle of the field is an open area. But sometimes you just – Aaron Rodgers said this on the Pat McAfee show the other week. They asked him – I don't know if they were talking about Matt Stafford perhaps. Like, hey, can quarterbacks get in a slump? And Aaron Rodgers said, yeah, they definitely can. And sometimes it's just one bad play that – gets you into a slump. You, you overthink one throw and then and you kind of can't get it out of your head. Now you're overthinking every throw. And then, then he said, conversely, sometimes it only takes one play to get you into a hot streak. You make an awesome throw. And you're like, damn, yeah, I'm the man. I still got it. Like I, I can do this thing. And, and it turns into something really good for you. So hopefully Ben benefits from some of that, uh, some of those throws that he made in that game. We hope you didn't fill up on Thanksgiving, because at MyBookie, the fun is just getting started. This Cyber Monday, MyBookie is giving you a bet one, get one free promotion on the Monday night football games. On Cyber Monday, bet against the spread on the Week 12 Monday night football game, and whatever you wager up to $100, you'll receive that same value back in a risk-free bet for Week 13's Monday night game. Don't miss out. Head to MyBookie.ag this Monday to get in on an exclusive promotion. To set the stage before you redeem the bet one, get one free promotion, why not wager on the biggest matchup of Week 12, the Los Angeles Rams versus the Green Bay Packers. In a clash of the NFC juggernauts, don't look for either side to hold back. Bet the over and thank me later. Set yourself up for success by doubling your first deposit when using promo code SPORTSDRINK at MyBookie. That's promo code SPORTSDRINK to double your initial deposit all the way up to $1,000. Bet anything, bet anywhere, bet anytime with my bookie. 
You've been listening to us extol the virtues of our newest sponsor, Symbol. Symbol is the stock market for sports that allows you to profit off of your sports knowledge. On Symbol, you can trade your sports teams like stocks, and every time your teams win, you earn cash. On Symbol, you can buy low, sell high, and earn cash payouts when your teams win. Join the 7,000 early adopters who have started to invest into their favorite teams. Visit www.simbull.com to create a free account. And when you deposit, make sure to use the promo code SD to make your deposit risk-free. Let's show some Steeler Nation enthusiasm while creating some potential personal remuneration, people. Let's pump up those shares. Visit www.simbull.com and use the promo code SD and your deposit will be risk-free. That means even if you lose money, Symbol will refund your initial deposit, no questions asked. Join Symbol and start investing and profiting from your favorite teams. Spotify Greenroom, the live audio-only sports talk platform. Free to download and to use. Talk to us, other fans, athletes, and insiders in real time. It's perfect for watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns, and reacting to breaking news. Share your own experiences on the app. Spotify Greenroom is a free audio-only social media platform for sports fans, real sports fans. Start or join ongoing conversations, watch games together, react to the biggest news, rumors, and games. Talk with other sports fans, insiders, athletes, and executives in real time. All you need to do is download the Spotify Greenroom app for free in the iOS App Store. Create a profile, link your Twitter, and join the group. Come with your spiciest takes. Spotify Greenroom. Now, just on the negative side, obviously, Joe Haig, he had a huge reputation for being very bad when the Steelers brought him in, and then he lost him the game single-handedly against the Chargers. On the worst game-winning drive attempt I have ever seen in my life, just gets blown up at his guard position. I mean, he's third-string guard for a reason. Gets blown up two times in a row for sacks on Ben. Ben had zero chance to get the ball away. On the second one, he tried to turn into 32-year-old Ben to shake off. I think it was Joey Bosa. I can't remember. But, yeah, that's not going to happen at this point. Uh, yeah, zero chance for any success on those plays. It was so anticlimactic. It sucked. But, like I said, it's it's not the killer bees right now. It's not the, uh, you know, the, the, the Cardinals Super Bowl era guys. It's uh, – it's a lot to expect to, to 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 assume that they'd be able to get to you know over forty points in, in a game like that. Even though, hey, it was there for the taking, so maybe it wasn't that much to expect. So that was disappointing. All right, I put out a tweet about Matt Canada. We might be changing our tune on him on the podcast. It's they're starting to. I want to say a stepbrother's quote, but you know, Dad, you know, we don't want to curse on the podcast, so I'm gonna let it go. But it's just refer to a point in the game where or a point in the movie where the stepbrothers themselves John C. Riley and Will Ferrell are interviewing for jobs and they're interviewing as a tandem and they're wearing tuxedos and Seth Rogen plays a gym teacher who ends up giving them a job to work as janitors in the school and they're sealing the deal, and everybody's happy. And Seth Rogen saying, yeah, you guys seem like cool guys. I mean, you can clean a couple of toilets here and there. You don't mind some dirty work, right? And they say, yeah, of course not. Of course not. And it goes silent in the room. And they're just smiling awkwardly. <sighs> Seth Rogen smells something. Is that, a, 
is that a fart? Is that a fart? And the stepbrother said, no, no, I don't think it's a fart. You might be smelling something. Seth Rogen said, yeah, no, I can taste it. Is that ketchup? It's a fart. Okay, now the tuxedo seemed a little left up. And Matt Canada is the tuxedo in this moment. And that was the most Colin Coward thing I ever said with the, with the metaphors there. But now there is starting to be a pattern of things that concern me with Matt Canada. And the biggest thing that concerns me when it comes to Matt Canada, it's not the utter misuse of Najee Harris near the goal line where we've seen multiple drives in the past few weeks where Najee Harris doesn't touch the ball one time when they're inside the five-yard line. That's not the thing that concerns me the most, and obviously that concerns me. It is the predictability in situations and areas of the field. And what I mean by that is if the Steelers get the ball into the red zone within the 10-yard line, you can almost virtually guarantee that the first play will be out of empty set and shotgun with no running back next to Ben. And there's only so many plays you can run out of that. There's some slant flats. There's some hooks. There's, you know, you can't even really run the, the wheel. You can. I mean, I guess they sort of scored on one of those the other week to James Washington with Mason Rudolph. But there's only so many patterns that you can run when you have a, an end zone that is taking away anything deep. So you, all you can do is throw a couple guys out in little short little ranges. And then secondarily, you have zero threat of the run because obviously Ben, you know, he's probably not going to run the ball like he did the other week. So... Every, you, you, you just let the other team off the hook when you're going in there and that down and distance, you know what formation they're going to be in. And then therefore, based on the area, you know that there's only a few patterns they can run. Also, if they get in that wing tee one more time on the goal line, I am going to punch the TV in the face. Because when they get on the goal line and they do a tight formation with no receiver split out wide, they just have a Two wing backs, usually Chase Claypool on the right side and then sometimes Benny Snell on the left side. They're going to run the damn reverse, the damn jet sweep to Chase Claypool. And they always run it from the three or two or three yard line. And it's just too predictable. You can't keep running the same plays out of the same formations in the same area of the field. That stuff is all accounted for. You can even run a jet sweep to Chase Claypool if you want every damn week in the red zone. You just have to change the formation. Or you have to change the motion. You have to change something. So that's my big worry about Matt Canada, and it's something to keep an eye on for the rest of the year because that was a massive problem last year with the Feetner offense, and now the tuxedos seem a little left up because the only tuxedo that's been in the building for these past two years is Matt Canada. That problem is persisting. Maybe it wasn't so much of Ben's ideas last year. Maybe it was more a combination. Maybe Matt Canada had a little bit more to do with things than we thought he did. But no way to tell about that now, and that's kind of pointless. All I'll say is that was pretty concerning. So, Jury, in conclusion, a disappointing loss for the Steelers. A daunting slate of games coming up next for the Steelers, but maybe not as horrible as we think if you can get some of these guys back on defense. But honestly a more entertaining watch than we've had in a long time. That almost sounds like loser's mentality, but look, I love the game of football. I am interested in the realities of football, not the narratives and the stories and 
you know, the idea that Tom Brady has somehow designed every defense that helped the Patriots win a Super Bowl in addition to throwing every touchdown. Oh, they have most Super Bowls. He must be the best player. We're not actually analyzing. I mean, no shade on Tom Brady that way, but just I'm making an example of sometimes the social narratives skew the actual reality of what's happening on the field. And the actual reality of the Steelers is that they're a work in progress more than they've been in a long time. And they have uh, massive decisions looming in the future with the retirement of Ben Roethlisberger. And I'm interested in watching. I'm able to have fun watching these games when I see improvement. Now, you want to freaking win them. And I want the Steelers to win as many games as they can this year after struggling with the idea of should they tank this year? Like, should they just get higher draft picks? And then realizing, you know what? The, the culture building that you get, especially with these young studs that the Steelers have, from actually winning games, from Mike Tomlin figuring out how to use these new guys, for, for continuing to further Mike Tomlin's credibility as, as a head coach, the players who come in and say, like, dude, this guy wins no matter what. Like, those are bigger deals. Keeping the prestige of the Steelers, that goes a long way. Look how much the Browns suck with an all-star team. There's no excuse. It's a culture thing. The Steelers need to build it up. So that being said, of course, I want the Steelers to win every game. It sucked. By the time the Steelers got the ball back, actually by the time Mike Williams scored that touchdown at the end of the game, I, I weirdly was, I, I sincerely was happy because I thought, man, there's no way that the Steelers are going to have a chance to get the ball back and they pretty much haven't stopped the Chargers the entire afternoon. So this might be the Steelers' best shot. And then I had the real nerves. I had like, Nerves that I've had every single year of my life until this year. Nerves when the Steelers uh, pretty much immediately calmed those nerves for me by having the worst offensive drive I've ever seen in a comeback attempt, as we've said before. Um, that being said, I can look at this thing and look at what the Steelers are building and have fun actually watching a game where there's some points scored and there are some big plays that are made. So... The Steelers have the Bengals next week at 12 o'clock. That is a very winnable game. I, it, it really depends on how many players the Steelers get back, especially if, if Minka can come back, because the Bengals are so reliant on big plays and making big touchdowns, and they even got one against the Steelers. But the Steelers are generally, with Minka in there, very good at preventing those big plays. I think that if Minka plays, and especially if TJ plays, the Steelers, I think they win this game against the Bengals. Because otherwise, the Steelers are relatively healthy enough in other areas. And they have built some things over the past few weeks. They also traditionally will do a good job if they lose the first game to an AFC North uh, opponent. Historically, they do a good job of fighting in that second game. And and very oftentimes, they win the second game. So, sky's not falling. I've seen a bunch of people call this a must-win this week. And they're right. I mean, come on. You you, got to keep pace at this point. And... If you do win next week, I think that you actually carry some momentum uh, from the success uh, in the loss against the Chargers. So I think that the Steelers, if they're healthy, I think that they can pull off a 24 to 20 victory versus the Bengals next week. I'm just calling it right now. Thank you guys for listening. Follow us on Twitter at Steelers Outpost. Until next week, go Steelers. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. (sighs) Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. 
and you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Searching for NBA playoff coverage? We've got you. The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, gives you an inside look into the world of sports. Hosted by former NBA sharpshooter and Duke legend J.J. Redick and sports writer Tommy Alter, The Old Man and the Three offers unprecedented access to the league. Tommy and J.J. discuss the NBA and interview some of the biggest names in the league, like Devin Booker and Luka Doncic. NBA final season is the perfect time to dive in, and you can listen to The Old Man and the Three wherever you get your podcasts. To hear episodes brought to you by BMW. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard. BMW, the ultimate driving machine.